Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to the show, everyone. My name is Amber Furman, and this is episode 51 of the More Than Corporate podcast. This week on the podcast, I have a really interesting interview with Bethany Clemenson. Bethany believes that this life was made for living big. She spent years in a corporate role building teams, mentoring leaders, and leading change management to create and sustain positive company culture. As a senior living professional, Bethany sat at the bedside of many people as they neared the end of their lives. What she learned was that many people die with regrets of not living out to their full potential. These experiences led her to start her own business where she helps others know who they are, lead well, and get the results they want in their career and in their life. Bethany specializes in working with individuals and leaders in organizations through keynote speaking, workshops, strategic planning sessions, and coaching programs. Simply put, Bethany helps individuals grow with a proven method that drives results. Bethany is a dual certified coach. She's also a certified speaker and trainer with the John Maxwell team. Bethany and her family recently resettled in the Northwoods of Wisconsin after traveling the U.S. in a motorhome for several months. In this episode, Bethany and I really dig into mindset, the way that that works with being able to accomplish your goals and live big and make sure that you don't have any regrets in your life. We also talk about what could possibly possess her to sell everything she owns and move her family around the country in a motorhome and what she learned from those experiences. We get into Bethany's podcast and talk about where that comes from and why that's important to her and really dig into who she is and what she is hoping to accomplish and the impact that she's looking to make on the world. So I am super, super excited for you to hear from Bethany. Before we jump into her episode, I wanted to take just a minute to ask you to head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review on the Apple podcasts. It really helps the Apple algorithm. It also helps me to know what you're enjoying or not enjoying about the show so that I can make more valuable content for you. I look forward to seeing your feedback. I do read all of those and I look forward to interacting with you at Apple iTunes as well as in the More Than Corporate Facebook community that you can head over to as well. So with that being said, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the interview with Bethany. Bethany, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I am thrilled to be here, Amber. Can't wait to get started. I am so excited to have you here. So we just, they just heard your intro, but just as kind of a rundown, I know that you have some experience with the John Maxwell team. You do some coaching stuff. You also have some experience in the corporate world that we're going to get into a little bit. And this amazing, my lifelong dream of just saying goodbye to everything and running around the country in a motorhome that I can't wait to talk about. Um, But where I want to start is just kind of what it was like for you growing up and what you thought your life was going to look like when you graduated from high school. Like, what did you want to do in that period of time? Wow. Those are big questions. Okay. Well, growing up, I grew up in a small town and family of four. Um, my, my dad was struck by lightning and killed when I was 11 months. And so then my mom remarried when I was three and to an amazing 
man who adopted me when I was in sixth grade and, and they had a sister, my sister when I was seven. And, um, so like normal quote, normal family, my parents are still together. They're both like pushing 70 now and, and they're happy and in love. And, but I grew up in a very small town, graduated from a high school with like maybe less than 50 people in my class. And I didn't really believe that I was made for anything amazing and just kind of floundered and felt small and played small and acted small, barely made it through many of my classes in high school because I didn't think I was smart Interesting. Um, and decided to be a nurse because my mom always said to me, you have to be able to fend for yourself in a job that we can afford the college for. So that's not a university. And uh, nursing would be a good choice for you. you. I'm a nurse, your aunt's a nurse, you care about people, and there'll always be sick people to take care of. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll be a nurse. I actually tried not to be a nurse for several years and floundered around and then ended up diving back into it because I didn't know what else to do. And I hated it. Really? So what was... Uh, how, well, let me ask you this first. How long were you a nurse for? Um, well, I'm still a nurse. Okay. So uh, yeah, I've been a nurse for years now. <laughs> but um, I guess maybe hate is a strong word, but I, I worked in positions, a lot of positions where I didn't know what happened to people. And at the time, I didn't realize how impactful in a negative way that was for me. But like in the ER, when they came in and then you ship them out like a 14-year-old with a head injury on a helicopter, you didn't know what happened. Got it. And so I, I struggled with like not the unknown of like not, not knowing what was coming in because frankly, I kind of thrive. I love that. It's like a big challenge, but then not being able to know what the rest of the story is or what the outcome was or being there to help them somehow. Like, like I'm a savior of some type. I don't know. That's probably weird to say. No, not at all. But that, that wasn't necessarily in my strength zone, being in a situation where I couldn't follow through with with where people were at. So to kind of back up a little bit, my parents, they, my mom was a nurse, as I said, my dad was a mechanic and neither of them loved their jobs. So I watched them go to work, come home, complain about their bosses, watch the news. Maybe my dad would turn on wrestling and fall asleep in front of the TV, complain, get up, do it all over again. Like they just were trying to make ends meet and we never had enough money. Like everything was always about how we didn't have enough money, but we always managed. It's not like we had to choose whether to put gas in their car or had groceries. We just didn't have enough money to live like they wanted to live or what maybe they thought would make them happy. And so I just felt like I just needed to know my place and I was destined to know who I was and live who I who I was made to be. And um, my parents kind of taught me that by saying things to me like, you didn't make cheerleading, of course, because we're not those kinds of people. We don't live in Is the right it? house. We don't have the right neighborhood. Like they were yeah. trying to protect me. Yeah. That's what they I was going to say. Small, right? And and that's so interesting. And I, and I want to touch on that for just a minute before we continue, because there's so much in what you just said that I think impacts so many people. 
And probably the biggest thing that I know I've had to learn is that the limiting beliefs of other people don't need to be my limiting beliefs mm-hmm. as well, even when those are your your parents and the way that you were raised. And also getting into the mentality that you had about what you could or couldn't do based upon how your parents had become comfortable living. Like, isn't it so weird that because I, I didn't grow up in quite the same scenario, but I can definitely relate to becoming comfortable with no with believing that you can't have what you want, if that makes sense. And how, like, it's so interesting to me. And I know in what you do now, you help people through that. But mm-hmm. what, what was the first thing that you, um, the first time that you realized that that was kind of bullshit and you can have what you wanted. How, how did you work outside of that? That's a great question. So I was married and had a new baby and decided I wanted to go back to work and we lived in Iowa. And so there was a hospital in the town that we lived in and, um, I applied there and ended up working in the ER and I worked on the regular medical floor too, but it was a tiny, small hospital. And, um, I would cry before I went to work, but I just thought it was normal. You know, that's just what, cause you people hate their jobs and they come home and they exist through life, right? This is what you do. And, and it's not that my parents said those things, right? It's, that's what I saw. And that's how I interpreted what I saw. And you, you know, and this, hmm, we're not responsible for what um, was taught to us, but we are responsible for what we do with that. And the thing is you can change your story. And so my first chance at changing my story came when a friend of mine cut out an ad in the newspaper that dates me like that. Can you edit? (laughs) Yeah, I can. If you want, (laughs) I mean, I hear you. Like I, I mean, I didn't, we're from pre cell phone age. So for anybody who's listening, who this is younger, like when you couldn't like call somebody, we were having a conversation before we went on about how awful technology is. And now we're like newspaper age. So I know, I mean, I get it. I'm with you there, girl. <laughs> My friend cut out this ad in the newspaper that came out once a week in her small town. And she called me and said, Hey, I don't know if you're job seeking, but there's this ad in the paper and they're looking for a leadership role. And it sounds like you. And first I was like, really? Well, I was flattered that she thought that I sounded like a leader. And meanwhile, I'm crying before I go to work. <laughs> okay. Um, and, but then I read the description and it was for senior living. And here's what I knew. I, I knew that my grandparents were a, a integral piece in my life. I spent so much time and that's my, my mom's parents. I spent so much time at their house growing up. And, and I knew that I loved older people. And that I felt like they had a lot to learn or I had a lot to learn from them. And, um, but I knew I didn't like the nursing home setting because to me, it just seemed like it was a place where you were sent to die. And, and I had actually tried working in that setting and I, like my heart couldn't do it. I was so sad. And so this concept of senior living was all new to me. And so when I went to the interview to find out about it, I was like probably overly excited I may have even scared them, but they, but they ended up hiring me, but I had never heard of this concept where seniors could go to a place and have independence. If they want to have a rum and Coke with their evening meal, they can do that. Oh, and by the way, it's a restaurant style. So it's made to order. And if they want eight cups of coffee, they can do that. Like 
you know, in a hospital setting, it's heavily regulated. And in a nursing home, I mean, you don't, you don't have those rights. Now, maybe we've gotten a little better in the past few years, but I was like over the moon at this concept. And maybe it was just simply my enthusiasm that they were like, well, we have to hire her. I don't know. It wasn't my leadership <laughs> skills because I'd never hired or fired before anything. And so they hired me. And I opened this little tiny assisted living community. It was like 36 apartments in this little town that we lived in. And I got my first glimpse at loving my job. I, I would like, I would like have to hold back tears before I went into work because I was so happy. I was so excited. I have goosebumps. I would say prayers of thanks like, and I felt so humbled and honored that I had the opportunity to create a team of people, get them going in the right direction, and then care for all of these residents and their families. And we were part of their story. We weren't just in their story for a second. You know, you, you were part of their story sometimes for years. And wow. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that kind of pops out at me when you talk about that is how different emotions can be. Because to somebody who's maybe looking at you from the outside, they see you crying before you go to work and they're like, nothing's changed. But to go from crying before you go to work because you're so miserable, you don't want to go right. to crying before you go to work because you're so thankful to be able to make mm -hmm. an impact in people's lives and be able to, to be there um, for the end of their, their, or not even necessarily the end, but the senior part of their life. Mm -hmm. um, that's such an interesting situation where you went from one extreme to the other. Mm -hmm. I like it. So how long did you work in senior living? Uh, over a decade. So I started off in my little building and then within a year or so I was training in new people and helping open other buildings. I still oversaw my building, but then I just was helping. And then I got to a point where I remember saying to my husband, it's the same problems, just different people. And I felt like I was just solving the same things all the time. And, you know, it, it, I don't know. I, I, I felt like I'd overcome a lot of the challenges that were there. We had like the lowest turnover and the highest satisfaction rate. I'd achieved things. I won the state award for the administrator of the year and I did all these things and then I was stuck. And so then I, like wasn't performing at my best and I started to feel sad again. I didn't ever cry before I went to work because there were parts of it that I loved. And I started realizing that parts of it that I loved the most were like encouraging the residents and helping them see a different perspective and helping the staff live their dreams or knowing, like figuring out that a staff member didn't have any money for their seven kids for Christmas or school supplies, homeschooling. And so pulling together people from the community to supply that and then driving up to their house. With oh, the wow. Stuff. Or um, we had a resident that wanted to uh, fly in an airplane again. She used to, she was a pilot. And so I didn't know anybody. We were relatively new to town, but we got connected and we got her up in a plane and then they videoed it and her great grandson was in the back and then they let her take the controls. And, and it was like, all these people were there and the media showed up and like, I, that's what I loved. I loved creating experiences for people, letting them know they were seen, heard, and valued, and then helping them know that they were worthy of more. And looking back, I can see all that. But at the time, I didn't necessarily realize it was all of those things. And so I'm stuck, and I'm still doing those things that I like. And our company 
was taken over by a different management company. So we had a portfolio of like seven assisted livings and then they were taken over by a new management company. And that management company offered a life coach for wow. anybody that was like executive director level or above. You know how pain doesn't or change doesn't happen until the pain of staying where you are is greater than the pain of changing, right? Yes. So, so I was there. I was like, okay, my my life's a mess. Like I have it together at work, but my personal life was a mess because I poured everything into work because I could win at work. And at home, I didn't feel like I could win, which is a whole other story. And I was stuck and I wasn't being promoted and I didn't know what to do. And so I decided to work with this coach. And that's kind of led me to the path where I am today. I ended up leaving senior living and that coach asked me to be part of his company and train me. And, and then later on, I went to the John Maxwell team and was certified through them as well. So that's, that's awesome. And there's a couple of things that I want to talk about, about what you said. And first one is obviously just expanding your your circle to be able to expand your perception. Like everybody has an introduction to what coaching is or, or whatever career they end up ultimately wanting to get into. And we don't even know those things exist. And so when we stay in our little circle and we stay in our, our same routine, we never know that there are all of these options out there for us. Cause all we know is what we've been taught. And so like kudos to you for being willing to jump out there because everybody has to do it. Like you have to take that step to know what else is out around that door. Are you familiar with Jen Sincero and her badass books? Yes, I've read. Yes, her yes, first. I love them. Yeah, I love them so much. And I can't remember whether it's her first or second book, but she has the quote in there that says, "The walls of our comfort zone are lovingly decorated with a lifetime of our favorite excuses," <laughs> and that's like what comes to mind when you're talking about this? Because that quote hit me like a ton of bricks the first time I heard it. And it was the first time that I thought about my comfort zone as a house or a job or whatever it is that like I'm sitting in. And all of a sudden it has like a picture and it has walls and like all of my excuses are written on them. And there's like this whole life out there and all you have to do is step out and take it. And so many times we're just stuck in that spot. So I think it's really cool that you were able to work with that coach and then figure out what you wanted from there. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to um, touch on, and this is a little bit off track of what we were talking about, but semi-related. So when you and I talked the first time, and then I know on your website and in some of the articles that you've written, you talk about the conversations that you've had with the people in your senior living and um, their regrets and things to that effect. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that impacted your life later on down the road? Because I'm a nurse, even though I was leading the community, I've still, the nurse is still there. And I would, I would go down and be with people. And when they got bad diagnoses or I was the one that would call the families and, and say, it's time, you know, to, to think of looking at hospice and all those things. And there were many times that I got months and months with people as they knew what their diagnosis was and they were walking, they were walking home. The things I heard over and over and over again were, I wished I wouldn't have listened to everybody else telling me what to do. And I would have done some things for myself. Now, maybe they didn't say it exactly like that, but they would say things like, I always wanted to be a teacher and I didn't because in my day, either you had to get married or you went to school. Well, that's a belief. I mean, that may have been the norm, but 
surely there could have been a way around that. Now, obviously I didn't say any of those things, but, but as I grew in my awareness, I realized that people were telling me their beliefs and, um, and I, I watched how relationships had been fractured that parents didn't talk to a son for 25 years and then they get a diagnosis and all of a sudden, guess what? They want to make amends because you spend, they spent so many years trying to be right. And, and do you want to be right? Or do you want to have love? Like it's, it's up to you. And, and, um, all these things sometimes that we just think are so important at the end of your life when you're facing it, they're not. Nobody ever told me how much money they had in their bank account. Nobody ever told me they were happy that they drove a Mercedes. Nobody ever told me about how many pairs of shoes they had or their job title or even their college degree. On their deathbed, nobody says, I'm so happy I went to Harvard. Like, that's not a deal, but yet, sometimes we spend our whole life chasing all this notoriety and all the stuff that we think will make us be okay when really all of that comes from inside. And um, I don't know if that answers your question, but initially when I heard people talking about their regrets, it felt really heavy to me and I wanted to fix it. And, and obviously you can't. And, and I got tired of hearing that. And at one point I even talked to my husband about, leaving senior living because all I was hearing was all this horrible, horrible regrets. Once in a while, I would say in my, in my over a decade in senior living, there were two people that I can remember that said to me, they lived a life they loved. Most people said, I had a good life, but, and then they'd tell me their innermost desires that they never lived out. And it's so sad to think that that's what we get used to. Like so many people get right. to that point. And whether it's, I know that I was raised in the culture of you graduate high school, you go to college, you get your job, you retire, and then you live your life. And we're moving into the culture of balance and a well-rounded life and finding a job where you don't feel like you ever have to work. But that didn't exist when I was, mm -hmm. when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, what career are you going to have? What, what are right. you going to do with your life? And this is why, so I have a friend who's in education and we talk about this a little bit. I think the worst question that you can ever ask a kid is what they want to do when they grow up. Oh, like, it yes. drives me insane. I can I share a story about that? Absolutely. I would love that. Okay. So I think it was fifth grade. Um, my daughter, Gwen, who's now 15, she came home from school and I was sitting in my office and she came in and she just, you know how you can look at somebody and they look defeated. If you know them real well, you can tell like something yeah. big has happened. They just look defeated. And she had this look on her face. And so I stopped what I was doing and I'm like, tell me what's, what's going on, what happened? And she just kind of slumped down on the floor and started to cry. And it took her a few minutes to compose herself. And she said, okay, mom, all week long, we've had different people come in and talk to us about what they do for a job all week long. And we've explored things in textbooks and I had to look up things on the computer. And then today in class, we went around one by one and we had to stand up and say what we were gonna be when we grew up. 
and it came to me and I didn't know what to say. And then she looked at me and she had like the, I don't know if I can even say this without choking up, but she had the biggest tears in her eyes. And she's like, mom, can't I just be me? I just want to be me. Oh and my I gosh. lost it. I like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, that's what we're supposed to be. That's the most important thing in this world is you being you. Yes, you can be you. <laughs> that could be the most powerful thing I've heard all week. Like that's so, it's, it exactly hits the point that we believe based upon the way that everything's set up right now. Like what, let me go back. When we ask those questions, we imply that what they're doing now isn't good enough. And so that they don't have responsibilities now and they don't have worth now and they don't have anything now until they become something. And this to me is one of the biggest problems in like everybody that we talk to has this curve that, that they chase something and then they realize that's not what they're supposed to be chasing. And then they have a crash and then they, they go on. Like what if we could circumvent that by just teaching people that they have worth from a young age and helping yes. them understand that like there's no right or wrong path and you don't have to make that decision right now. Right. Yes. Absolutely. I, I just, I wish we, I mean, that we could, we could have a whole podcast and probably a series of podcasts about what's wrong with our education system. But that is to me, just even as take it out of education as a society, because so much, you see a six-year-old, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we just do it unconsciously. Like it's just natural to do it. Right. And I love your daughter's response so much. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do too. At first, mom guilt set in because I was like, oh, have I not believed in her or taught her enough that that's the most important thing? Like, you know, first it's all about me, but I'm like, how has is, how is I failed as a parent that she believes that she has to be something? And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not the only voice she hears, you know? And, and truly, I, I thought that my worth came from outside of me for years. So my husband and I have very different personalities. So I don't know if you or your listeners are familiar with the DISC um, personality style, but I am an ID and I have a high C. So that means I'm a cheerleader who wants to go fast. And I look at the facts only after I cheerlead and go fast. My <laughs> husband is fact-based and a driver. So he wants to know all the facts and then go fast. So you can imagine like that there's some headbutting happening. Well, since I grew up not feeling like I was very smart and not worth much, um, when he had an idea that was fact-based, I automatically felt like I must be wrong because most of my ideas were feeling-based, at least initially. And in our marriage, I just tried to do everything that I thought that he wanted so I would be okay. And then it just it bred resentment. And, and I was so angry at him that we weren't even friends anymore. And so we had kids because that's what you do. And then we designed this house and Tom, my husband, built it because that's what society says. And we thought, well, maybe we'll have this house and then 
we have these kids and it's the house that, you know, looks great and we'll have people and friends and everything will be okay. Then that, that'll fix it. And I felt like I couldn't win at home. And so I poured myself into work and I won big at work. I could win big and I could outwork anybody. I would come home from work at night. I would have supper with the kids, get them ready for bed. And as soon as they were in bed, I'd go back to work like eight or eight 30. I'd work until 1am. I'd come home again, sleep until four or five, get up, be back at work before anybody else was and started all over again. I won. I won. I got the most emails answered. I won there, but it didn't, it didn't help my relationship <laughs> at home and it didn't help me connect with my kids. And I did that for years and really, and it wasn't until I started working with a coach that I realized that I was seeking my worth outside of me because that's all I knew. So imagine how things would have been different if I thought that I had worth without my title, or I thought that I had worth just because I'm, I exist and my opinions matter too. And those were the, that was the first thing that coaching taught me was that my voice matters. Damn it. Like, no. And, and, and it wasn't that my husband wasn't, he's amazing and loving and wonderful, but I saw him as a controlling jerk and he's not in any way controlling. He just has ideas and he tells me them. Well, and and what's crazy about that is our perception drives everything we do. Yes. So I have a, I have a very similar story in the relationship with my mom. My mom and I had a, like, just drag out relationship growing up. And even up until like, I don't think we, our relationship has improved, but I don't think that it really got like amazing in my eyes until about two years ago, two or three years ago. And it happened when I quit looking for her to give me what I should have been giving myself. Mm-hmm. It happened when I realized that everything that I was upset at her for not giving me was shit that she couldn't give me because it was impossible. There was no love that she could give me that would fill up the lack of love I had for myself. Um, And I think about that a lot when you tell your story because since you didn't feel like you had worth, there's nothing that your husband could have done or said to you that would make you feel that way. And every time he tried, all it did was piss you off because he, you didn't even know how to understand how to feel that. Right. Because you look to prove what you believe. So there could be a thousand things out there that show you that you're amazing and worth it, but you aren't going to see that. You're going to see whatever, you know, whatever filter you're using. Like, I mean, I remember in high school walking down the hallways and if people didn't look at me, I totally used that to validate that I was worthless. Yep. Of course you never got a date. Look, how ugly you are. He won't even look at you. Your friends won't even acknowledge you. Oh, look, she didn't say hi when I said hi to her. Great. I must've made her mad, said something stupid again. Like all this self-talk in my head for years, I didn't even know was there. Like, you know, the dialogue you have that, like, I didn't, I never heard those words, self-talk. Yeah. I didn't even know what that was. And really until, well, I dove into it with coaching, but a few years prior to coaching, I started reading self-help books, but I wasn't, I wasn't internalizing it. I was just a self-help book regurgitator. I'd write the words on the wall or on the whiteboard to, you know, pump up my staff, but I didn't (laughs) internalize it. Yeah. And that's, that's the big point as well is, you know, 
there, there's levels, right? So you have to read those self-help books to be aware that that exists. But then at some point in time, once you're aware it exists, you have to learn how to implement it or else all you do is end up saying things that you don't really believe. Right. Um, I think that that's super, super interesting the way that that played out. And are you familiar with Brene Brown? Oh, yes. Yes. I joke that I have a love affair with Brene Brown, but she has her new Netflix special. Have you seen it? No. Okay. So you need to go watch that. It's called The Call to Courage. Okay. And I won't ruin it for you, but in that Netflix special, she talks about the stories in in her head. And she talks about showing up in relationships differently when you acknowledge that and particularly, okay, maybe I will ruin it for you, particularly um, in arguments with her husband mm-hmm. where they would be arguing about something and now they say, the story in my head says this and yes. I need to talk about it. Yes. Which is, it, that- it, that changes the communication game for me. Absolutely. Like you're having, that you're having a conversation with somebody who's not having the same conversation that you're having because you're in two different places because of right. the stories in your head. Yes, So, okay. So I've talked about and worked through my crazy so much with my husband that sometimes he'll look at me and he'll be like, I love you. I don't think you're stupid. And, and because he can tell when I start to go down that path, like we're having a conversation and he's passionate about his point. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. We can agree to disagree, but sometimes I get tired and cranky and I revert back to the old thinking and Literally, I tell myself when I'm having a conversation with him, he loves me. He thinks I'm smart. Like those are two things that I say over and over and over again. If I feel my emotions start to rise, like I'm going to lose it. And, and, uh, and really, yeah, exactly. The story in my head. I mean, we're going to tell ourselves stories anyway. Why don't we make them good ones? Exactly. And I want to, I want to hit really quickly on what you just said, because I think it's so important that all the work that we do and even being on the other side of that and doing the coaching that you do, when we, when we get to the point where we understand these things and we know how they work within our minds, that doesn't mean we never experience them. It just means that when they, when they poke their head up and that itty bitty shitty committee that shows up and tells (laughs) you that you're like awful, you know how to deal with it and you know how to shut it down before you end up like crashing and burning. Right. And so I think that that's super important for people to understand is it's not like you walk away from these and you never have these feelings again. You just understand what they are and you are able to recognize them before they Mm -hmm. viral you. And that is a superpower. Of 100%. So I want to get into what... And, and I think that you've talked a little bit about it, but what was the driving force behind you and your husband picking up your entire family, selling everything that you <laughs> own and deciding that you were going to be like these motorhome junkies and go throughout the country? Because I love it. And I think it takes balls to do it that most people don't have because we hold on to these external things. So I'm so interested to know what the driving force was and then what that experience was like for you. Okay. Well, so you know how when one cog and a wheel changes, like everything else has to adjust. And so as I was like on this huge growth journey and learning all this stuff from my coach, 
my relationship with my husband started to change. And then my family and I, we all started to change and I started to prioritize um, how I managed myself so I could live out my time differently. And I started realizing that I didn't want to work 90 plus hours a week anymore. And I took a break from senior living and focused on just figuring out maybe what I wanted next. And there was a, an amazing company that called me and asked me to come work for them and open up some buildings in Iowa. And I did, but the whole time I just knew it wasn't my, it wasn't my jam anymore. And there's so much freedom in that. And, but I didn't know what to do next. I had gone to a conference. It was my first John Maxwell team conference, actually, in 2017. And while I was standing in the registration line, I met this woman named Michelle. And she, in passing, just mentioned that her and her family had put their house up for rent for six months. And, and they took their teens and they went to Europe and they traveled for six months. Pulled them out of school, did whatever, online or homeschool, I don't remember which. And I was so impacted by that. First of all, I was like, she's not a millionaire. And she did that. She's like a middle-class person. Wait, people do that. Wait, you can do that? <laughs> and like it totally changed a perspective for me. And so that was in the back of my mind, right? And then um, just thinking about like my greatest memories growing up with my grandparents. Well, there was one summer after they retired that they bought a like class C motor home. And they took my sister and I and my aunt and we drove from Illinois to Florida camping all the way there. We got on the beach, we camped on Daytona and we got, actually the tide came in and we got stuck and all those police officers had to dig us out and it was crazy. And my grandma was hiding under the covers, but like I wasn't phased by it. I was like having a great time and my grandpa was laughing and, and like, those are my best memories. And, and so I was talking to my husband about how we could give our kids memories like that. And I, I realized doing my self work, um, that I'd missed so much with my kids when they were smaller, because I was too busy working for my worth. And I know I only have a certain number of years left now. And, um, and what could we do? Because here's the thing, we got the cars, we got the dream house. We had 17 acres. I had the income. We had the income. He has a great business. Like we had all the things and we were like, uh, really, is this all there is now? What? And, uh, so, um, we actually went to this like weekend retreat, just Tom and I, and it was called turning point and it was in Atlanta. Georgia it was held, um, uh, the guy that led it, his name's Paul Martinelli and, okay. um, his partner, him and his partner, Roddy Galbraith, his teaching partner, Roddy Galbraith. Um, they, they used to put this event on twice a year and actually you can find them on Facebook under living empowered. They have like a free Saturday show and they do teachings that are free every week. And it's like mind blowing, huge stuff. And I still follow them. Anyway, we went to this event and my husband was kind of a hostage. Well, he was a hostage. I, I drug him there. And when we left the event on the plane home, Tom said to me, we've got to sell everything because we've built our entire lives from a not enough standpoint, from like a scarcity mindset. And that's not what we're designed for. 
Well, and, and let me let me stop you for just a second because I want you to continue. But on the scarcity mindset thing, I want to point out how crazy it is that you guys can have so many things and still be living in a scarcity mindset. Like people think that living in a scarcity mindset is like living in a tent and realizing that you don't um, that you don't have anything. But here you have like your house and you've got you know these jobs and you've got all the things that you ever could have wanted or mm -hmm. thought that you wanted, and you're still in this scarcity mindset. So it shows up everywhere. And I think that that's super interesting in your story that that mindset existed and, and important that that mindset existed while you had everything that you thought you wanted. Mm -hmm. Right. It's yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how those things, your, your beliefs drive your behavior and it drives everything about you. So on, on the plane ride home, he said that, and I'm like, okay, I'm in, let's do it. And, um, so we started just kicking around the idea. So this was like 2017, maybe beginning of 2018, a little time later, my bosses at the company I was working for, we had a meeting and I mentioned they were coming to Iowa to see me for something. And I had um, a speaking engagement in St. Louis and I hadn't taken excessive time off or, or anything like that. I mean, really I had tons of time built up. I've worked a, a ton, but it was their first company and I would protect my company too, I guess. And they weren't happy about me going to this speaking engagement and I'd never hit it from them. It just happened to come up and they asked me to stop. They said they weren't funding, they weren't paying me to fund a side hustle. And they asked me to stop all of my stuff I was doing, you know, on the side. And I didn't have a ton going just because I was working so much. There was no way. But what I did do was like feeding my soul. It was keeping yeah. me going. I understand that they don't like legally, they didn't have a right to tell me what I can do in my off time. And, and they are the most amazing people. So please know their hearts were coming from protecting their company. Like I, I love them and they're wonderful. And out of respect for them, I cancel everything. And when I called wow. him, because I wanted to honor them, you know, like this, that was their dream. I was part of their dream. So, so out of respect for them, I canceled everything. And when I called home, I was a mess. I called, I was, I was traveling when this happened. So I called home and I was talking to my husband and my daughter was, he must've had me on speakerphone. And I told him all this stuff that was happening and she got on the phone and she's like, so help me understand. So you just give up your dream. So people like tell you like you can't and then you just say, okay, and you just stop like going after your dream. Is that what happens, mom? Oh, and I was like, oh my gosh, I still have goosebumps just saying that. And I'm like, no, I'm pausing it out of respect, but I am all in on my dream. I'm pausing it out of respect. It's just, it's not, not never. It's just not right now. And so I knew like we had to, we like something had to give. And so we made a plan and I gave my notice and, um, we put our house on the market and within just a few weeks it had sold and, uh, we bought a motorhome, even though we'd never camped before. I mean, I'd camped with my grandparents, but I was 15, <laughs> like it doesn't really count and put our stuff in. We had like two trailers. One trailer was full of tools and one trailer was full of everything else. And, um, and that was it. And, and we drove away and yeah. So I hope that. <laughs> no, it does. I, I think there's so many amazing lessons in there. Um, so you traveled around in 
the motorhome for a year. And did you homeschool your kids or what did you do for school? Yeah, they went to school through Liberty University online, which was a wonderful. So we weren't teaching them, you know, we were support and making sure they were, they had things they needed to do every day, but if they didn't do a day, they could do two days the next day or they could work ahead a week and then we could go and not have school for a week if we wanted. So um, they had a generalized timeline. If you stuck to it, you know, you'd be done and, and within a range, but you could always work ahead. And it was great. Some days they were done with school, like two and a half hours. And other days it was nine. I mean, if they had a science project and lots of testing and whatever, but, um, and it worked. We had, we, we got cell phones. The kids didn't have cell phones until we started traveling and we got them each a cell phone so they could have a hotspot so they could be connected on their laptop to work on online. So it worked. That's crazy. And so in that year, if you could pick, and this might be a really hard question to answer if it is, I'm sorry. If you could pick like the three top lessons that you feel like you learned from traveling around the world or the three things that you took out of it the most, what would you say those are? Or even one, if, I I mean, I don't know whether one or three is easier to answer. I don't, I, but. I'll tell you my most, one of my most memorable moments, because there's a lesson in that. We bought these scooters, like little 40cc, like if any of your listeners have seen Dumb and Dumber, like that kind of scooter where you're like, okay, so we got two of those and I'd never driven a scooter. So I had to learn how to do that. That was interesting, but that's a whole other story. I have a blog post on that about all the lessons I learned from trying to learn how to drive a scooter. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so we decided we would drive the scooters um, to um, Mount Rushmore and then we were camping close by and then through Needles Highway, which you can't get any big vehicles through Needles Highway anyway. And so it was like a 60 mile like round trip deal. And you know, they, they only go like 35 miles an hour max anyway. And then when you put two people on it, cause we each had to carry a kid. Like sometimes we were going five miles an hour up hills, <laughs> but so we're, we've, we've been going all day and we're kind of at the last few turns of Needles Highway and it's just breathtakingly beautiful. And we turn a sharp corner and to the right are like all the, all the needles that are up in the air and in the, these beautiful dark rock formations and the sun is behind it. And it's breathtaking. And my, I have Gavin, my son, on the back of my scooter. And he squeezes me tight and says, Mom, this is beautiful. Why do I feel like I want to cry? And I said, because, buddy, this is what God creates. And, and my faith base is that there's a creator, the grand overall designer, God. Um, and I'm like, just think if God can do that for some rocks, just think what he can do with us. And um, I'll never forget that moment. Like as long as I live, I'll never forget that. I think the other big lesson is that small spaces create great ways to connect. We had the best conversations. Like that motorhome had one, two, three, four, five TVs in it. Oh, it wow. was 300 square feet. It had, I don't know why. I mean, it's a thing in motorhomes, but it, 300 square feet, it had five TVs in it and we barely ever had a TV on. And, um, we had so much connection and but you're, I mean, you don't get away from each other where you're outside doing stuff together or you're in the small space together. And 
it just prompted really cool conversations. And so I, I think the small spaces um, breed or is a breeding ground for connection. And like we're, we're building, we'll build a house here in Wisconsin and we're going small. I mean, we're getting ready to move into an 800 square foot cabin um, that, that will be an Airbnb in a year or so, but um, we're moving into it first while they fix up another couple of cabins to have as Airbnbs. But, um, and, and we'll stay small because that's where the connection happens. I think that that's so important. And I can relate that some of my favorite memories have nothing to do with money, have nothing to do with, you know, these big, you know, purchases, their trips that you take with your family and experience you have. And my family is big on camping. So camping trips with your family and just that closeness and doing things together and, mm -hmm. and having those experiences. So I think that's really cool. So what are you doing now with your coaching? I know that you said that you were part of John Maxwell team. Are you coaching full time and where can people find you if they want to reach out to you about what you're currently working on? Sure. So I, um, I am coaching full time. I'm, um, and I actually just today I sent an email out. I have some openings. I don't take on a lot of, um, of one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. I make sure that I have the bandwidth for that, but um, I'm opening up a few six week coaching packages. So people can find out about that on my website. It's bethanyclem.com. And there is, um, there's a tab that's, I think it's called store and you can go there and you can actually book a call with me. And so I always want to make sure people are a right fit. I'm not a right fit for everybody. They're not a right fit for me. <laughs> um, and so I'd love to have a connection, a discovery call with people before we would commit to, to coaching. So I'm doing that. I'm also speaking, taking speaking engagements for 2020. I have some things booked already, but I do have some weeks that are open. I also lead retreats. I have had several um, women's groups and I actually had a family contact me this week they want to get all of the women in their family together and just really sit down and work through their stuff. Over a <laughs> Are long you sure weekend. you're ready for oh, that? No, but the cool thing is they're all on board and they all are wanting it. And they even had an outline of not what they wanted to do, but what they wanted to accomplish. And they just want me to build it and lead it for them. And that that's awesome. So I'll go anywhere and, and do that for people. I, I love that. But that um, sounds like a, bad like horror comedy film waiting to happen like i i can't imagine putting all the women in my family in a room and saying okay go <laughs> um so i'm sorry you have you have these amazing adventures and that is an adventure of itself i'm sorry i got stuck on that but that just blows my mind i think that's super cool and super creative and really scary <laughs> um so this is, this podcast is about success. And I know that we've talked a lot about kind of in a roundabout way about where your life changed and what route you took and things to that effect. But what, if you had to define success now, how do you define success and how has that changed throughout your life? Wow. You know, I would say it's knowing who you are and knowing your strengths and abilities and leaning hard into those things to, to live out who you are. Um, it, it's not about a dollar sign or a title or an educational level. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have all those things, 
and, and have a deep sense of success. But if all of those things are all you have and you don't have the worth inside, um, you, you'll never feel success. And I, I, I believe that our gift from spirit, universe, God, whatever is our life and our gifts and our talents and everybody has unique gifts and talents and our, our gift back is how we use them. And we're here to be all used up and you can't do that playing small. You've got to be able to live big, staying dialed in to who you are, what your priorities are, what your giftedness and your strengths are, and, and being able to keep taking those steps forward. Um, it can be overwhelming to even know where to start. I don't know if you have listeners that are like, well, this sounds great and all, but I don't even know what to do. Um, I, I put to, can I talk about this? I put together a Absolutely. guide. Please okay. do. Okay. So I had people that were reaching out to me consistently asking like, where do I start? Where do I start? I don't know if I'm ready for a coach yet, maybe, but how do I just find out more about this? And so I put together an action takers resource guide. So if you're ready to take action to make any kind of change in your life, um, you can get that guide at my website, bethanyclum.com. It's on the homepage. It's, you just scroll down a little bit and you put your email in and your name and um, you get immediate access to it. It's a PDF download and it has lists of books like, well, Brene Brown's books. Um, it, there's podcasts on there, there's websites, there's journals, there's planners, all different kinds of tools that you can lean into to really increase your awareness um, and grow. So. I love that. And honestly, you guys should check out her website anyways, because I was reading your blog over the last like month and I love it so much. So mm -hmm. I've been like reading your, your old blog episodes and it's, it's amazing. So you guys should go check out her website and check out her blog and get that guide because it sounds amazing. Um, I'm going to go check out that guide. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that. You, you said dialed in and I want to take a minute to talk about your podcast because I think that we we didn't delve into that as much as I would have liked. So you have your podcast called Dialed In. And I would assume based upon the way that you just described success, that that's so much overlaps with mm -hmm. just figuring out who you are and, and what you want and getting dialed in with what's important to you. But do you want to talk about your podcast for a minute? Well, it's basically focused on things that you can do to grow and be dialed into who you are living a big life and then action steps. It's not just fluff. It's not just like coming and listen and to a cheerleader talk about, here's what you do. It's like, okay, now here's five things that you can implement immediately. I try really hard, even when I, when I have guests on, um, to wrap it up with like, here's some steps, do this, do this one thing or whatever. Um, because, for me, sometimes I get overloaded with all the information and, and then I want to do all the things at once. And if, if I, some, it just helps me if someone just says, here, just, just try this one thing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do all the things. So, yeah, that's one of the biggest advice that was given to me at one, I think it was at Thrive, but throughout the conferences, like we all go to these conferences and then you leave with all this motivation and you get overwhelmed and you don't do anything. Right. And so if you go into it and you just find one or two things that you want to implement mm -hmm. and, and leave with that, mm -hmm. then that's so much better than leaving with a ton of stuff in your head and then not doing anything. So I love that. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think that you've talked about a ton of cool things. Before we end, I'd love to do a quick random round and let everybody get to know you a little bit more. Are you okay, okay. with that? Yeah. What profession, if there is one, other than what you currently do now, would you like, do you think would be fun to attempt? Um, a teacher. Teacher. Interesting. 
I like that. Like, do you have a, an age range that you think that you would be drawn to teaching or just the idea of helping people understand things on a uh, deeper level? Definitely high school. Cool. If you could time travel, where would you go and why? Wow, that's a great question. I would <laughs> I would go back to my grandparents when they were young and I would help them have awareness so they could live out all the things that they didn't get to. Oh, wow. That's a great answer. Um, what personality trait do you think has been most important in your success? Grit. Grit. I like it. Are you an audiobook listener or do you prefer holding the physical book and reading it? Holding it unless I'm driving. Okay. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't drive and read for anybody out there. If you do and you're in Nevada, give me a call. Um, <laughs> what are you reading or listening to right now that motivates you? Oh, um, the universe has your back. Really? Who, who is that by? I've never heard of that. Oh my gosh. Um, Gabby, Gabby Bernstein. Gabby Bernstein. That is going on my list. Oh, it's so the, the subtitle is transform your fear to faith. I I, love everything about it so much already. And I haven't even bought it yet. So it's going on the list. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a huge music nerd. So I always have to ask people what song is kind of your pump up song. What motivates you right now? Beautiful people. Ooh, who's that by? Oh, is it, I want to say Sean Mendez, but that's not the right, that's not the right name. It's a pop song. It's all over the radio right now, but it's about, it's about not fitting in. It's about being Ooh. who you are. I love it. And I love the video. It's like, it cracks me up. Oh, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Yes. Thank you. I like it. Okay. Do you have a morning routine? And if so, can you give us a glimpse of it? Yes. Usually up between 4.30 and 5. If I don't go to the gym, then I sit by a fire and think and journal and get my day planned out. Um, right now, I am sending daily mindset texts out to a basketball, a high school basketball team that I'm working with, but I send them individually. That way people can respond back to me if they want and it's private. And that takes me, that takes about 45 minutes of my morning routine. But otherwise I would plan, I would journal and I would read during that time. But my reading has gone by the wayside a little bit because of that text thing. So I think that's super, super cool though. So do you send the same mindset piece to each person each day and just send it individually or do you send an individualized one to them? Um, mostly the same, but if I know there's a struggle that somebody's having or they tell me something that they want to know more about, I'll send it to them. The thing is other people are finding out that I'm doing that and it's almost out of hand now because they want it. I, well, wait, you're, you're doing what? I want that for my son. Can you send that to me too? Okay. Wait, this other coach wants it. Can you send it to them for their team? And so I'm not sure where this is going to go, but I love doing it. I, it's like a motivator for me every day to to come up with something that you know that'll that'll help someone. Just a little blurb of light, a little spark of something. So that's awesome. I love that so much. So before we end, we talked about your website, which people need to go check out, BethanyClem.com. 
We talked about your podcast, which everybody can find wherever they listen to podcasts dialed in. You need to go like and review and share that. Mm-hmm. We talked about your coaching business. Where can people find you on social media um, oh, if they wanted to interact with you? Sure. So um, on Facebook, I'm at Speaker Bethany. And on Instagram, it's Bethany Clemenson, C-L-E-M-E-N-S-O-N. I'm on LinkedIn too under my name. I don't think I'm on. I have Snapchat, but I don't use it that much. I've got to give it the time. Someone needs to help me. My little brothers are like Snapchat gurus because there's such a big age difference between us. And it's the only way I get to communicate with them in like a group that I'll, I'll call them to um, catch up and they'll be like, but I mean, didn't you see my snaps? And I'm like, no, I didn't. Cause I don't know how to do those things. Cause I'm old and I used to read newspapers. So <laughs> it comes full circle, <laughs> right? For any of you Snapchat users, newspapers are things that are printed and then folded and then delivered to your house in a roll. So I mean, it takes about a day. So yeah. Um, Perfect. Well, I really appreciated you coming on and sharing some of your insight. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.